1: Welcome back to Forum. It's still me, Alexis Madrigal. Postpartum depression afflicts millions of American women each year and remains underdiagnosed and undertreated. In 2019, the FDA approved brexanolone, the first drug specifically for postpartum depression. Studies showed that it worked quickly and well, but it's also expensive and new. And a recent KQED report found that Kaiser Permanente, the largest health provider in California, has set very tough conditions on prescribing it. KQED reporter April Demboski joins us to discuss her reporting and the challenges mothers face in receiving treatment for postpartum depression. Welcome, April. Thank you. So first, let's talk about postpartum depression, which affects perhaps one in eight mothers in the United States. Um, It seems like it has uh, come to the fore in recent years as a major mental health problem.
2: It has uh, a lot more women have been reporting it. Um, there is also been an increase in the number of states who are requiring, which are requiring doctors to screen for it. Um, and so, you know, a lot of, a lot of it in the past was that we just weren't asking women how they were feeling. And then once we started asking them, we started learning about more of these feelings of depression and anxiety. There is also postpartum OCD and postpartum psychosis. Mm-hmm. And what is
1: uh... What does treatment normally look like for postpartum depression?
2: well, it's it's first of all, it's important to note how many women who have postpartum depression never get any kind of treatment. and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, women are really busy taking care of a new baby and figuring out this new normal. They may not even recognize that, you know, in all the, breastfeeding and and changing diapers that how sleep they, deprivation you know, sleep deprivation <laughs> yeah. that you know how they're feeling is is not okay um, they may be too busy to go to the doctor um, there's also there's also been doctors who have been reluctant to treat women who are pregnant or breastfeeding and so it's been more recently that um, we've come to understand that anti- some antidepressant medications are safe to give to women during uh, breastfeeding. Got
1: it. And so that would be like the the treatment would be sort of normal depression treatment, like you'd get SSRIs and you'd get the the sort of standard litany of antidepressants.
2: Exactly. And while some of these antidepressants do work for women, uh, one of the things that's difficult for providers and for women is that they can take quite a long time to kick in, four to six weeks. And when you're a new mom feeling terrible, that can feel like an eternity.
1: What questions do you have about treating postpartum depression? Do you have an experience to share with accessing treatment for postpartum depression? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We're talking with April Demboski, our health correspondent at KQED News. So there's a new drug um, that has, was approved in 2019, I believe, for um, treating postpartum depression. Can you tell us about you know just how it works and how it's different from traditional uh, depression treatments?
2: Right. so um, typical antidepressants work by acting on the serotonin system in the brain. Brexanolone is essentially a synthetic hormone. So one of the things that you know doctors don't a hundred percent understand, you know, what causes postpartum depression, but they do believe it's triggered by hormonal changes. So when women are pregnant, they see a huge rise in um, progesterone, estrogen, um, and another um, metabolite of progesterone, which is called allopregnanolone. And then when, after they have the baby, all of those hormones plummet. And, you know, for women who are vulnerable, the understanding is that that can trigger the postpartum depression. So brexanolone is um, a synthetic form of allopregnanolone. And um, so that makes it quite different from antidepressants. Um, and the way that it's delivered is through an infusion. So women go to the hospital for, for three, two and two and a half, three days. They get this IV, and the, the medication is delivered over the course of 60 hours.
1: Wow. And were there any sort of notable side effects? Is that why it the treatment actually occurs sort of inpatient, as opposed to just taking it outside.
2: That's exactly that's exactly right. So they um, dizziness, headaches, but then there were a certain proportion of women who, you know, almost fainted or did faint, and so that's why the FDA put this um, restriction on brexanolone that you had to be in the hospital, and the health centers that deliver the medication have to be certified. They have to go through a certain level of training, and they have to monitor the women throughout the entire treatment.
1: And brexanolone, I mean, one of the things that's interesting about it is that it works quickly, right? I mean, with traditional antidepressants, it might take, say, a a month for the effects to really be felt. Does this work like sort of right away, basically, as soon as you get the infusion?
2: It works basically right away. So I've talked to several women who have actually received uh, brexanolone in California, and they talk about, you know after one day of being in the hospital and, you know, for them, they may have been going weeks or months of just feeling so low, possibly even suicidal. And then a nurse comes in and tells a joke and they laugh and they suddenly realize they haven't laughed in four months. Uh, So women have told me they feel a certain sense of clarity, you know, a lifting of that, that veil of, of low mood. Um, And in the studies, uh, that those improvements lasted 30 days, which is what they studied. Some of the women I talked to are, you know, months out from treatment and still feeling better.
1: And did they compare brexanolone to other antidepressants, or was it against a placebo?
2: Only against a placebo. So, you know, we we do know that brexanolone works better than nothing. But we haven't done a study comparing how whether it works better than Zoloft, for example, or electroconvulsive therapy, for example. Got it, got it.
1: Okay, so that sort of brings us to the point where you really, your investigation specifically about Kaiser begins. Um, you started talking to women who were trying to access this treatment. And what, what happened?
2: Um, so basically, you know, in talking to different women who have gotten the treatment, I asked them, well, you know, did you have any issues with your insurer covering it? Because back in the early days, when it was first approved by the FDA, there was concern about that. Uh, you know, brexanolone is expensive; it's thirty-four thousand dollars for the medication. It it can you know give people a little sticker shock. Um, but what surprised me actually was that a lot of women that I spoke to in California. Uh, did not have issues with their insurance. It may have taken a long time for them to get authorization. Um, but when I talked to women who had Kaiser, they reported just a, a real burden in trying to get access to this medication.
1: Yeah. And and what were those roadblocks that were getting
2: thrown up? So, you know, the different... Insurance policy. D- different insurers have different policies, you know, for for covering this medication. Um, a couple of them will say, you know, before we're going to pay for this medication, we want to make sure that you know this other antidepressant. May, let's make sure that that may not work first. So they'll say, if you try this one medication, it doesn't work, then we'll then we'll pay for Brexan alone. There's one plan that will say, you know what, try two medications, and then we'll pay for Brexan alone. But kaiser is is different in a lot of ways. They have recommendations for their doctors, and they recommend that women first try four medications, show that four medications don't work, also consider electroconvulsive therapy, and then they'll mm-hmm. consider brexanolone. no
1: Kaiser yeah, obviously has a different structure. you know they're both providing the health care as well as uh, acting as the payer, the insurer as as well. Um, did outside experts from Kaiser find what they were doing to be sort of a a reasonable way of doing care?
2: Well, when I talk to perinatal psychiatrists, uh, you know, people who've been taking care of women with postpartum depression for a long time, they were really surprised by this guidance. Um, You know, knowing that typical antidepressants can take four to six weeks to kick in. So if you fail one and you've, you know, a month has gone by, then you've got another month. There's
1: four months right there. (laughs) Exactly.
2: Some women have terrible um, side effects from medications that are just not tolerable. Um, And so the other thing is, is that, you know, this is a really urgent condition. uh, If, you know, women who experience postpartum depression often may feel detached or indifferent toward their baby, it can really affect the mother-baby bond. And if that is affected, there, if you don't treat it long term, there can be effects on the baby, social, cognitive, emotional development. And so there's a real sense of urgency among women's health providers in trying to treat this condition quickly. The other thing is that brexanolone was only studied in women uh, who were six months postpartum or less, and so there really is sort of a clicking, a, a ticking clock with this medication uh, that you it it might run out if yeah. you have to go through that many medications.
1: No, you did. You were able to get Kaiser to talk with you on the record. And what did they how did they describe what they were doing and and what was their reasoning for for this kind of you know throwing up these kinds of conditions?
2: Well, they make the distinction as you did that they are they're an integrated health system. So they're not like traditional insurers, you know where you have a health plan sort of making all the decisions about what you get and what you don't get. At Kaiser, it's the doctors who are making these decisions based in a clinical setting, you know, in conversation with the patient. And they say that, you know, the inclusion criteria that they are using, um, they say, well, for us, these are just recommendations. You know, our doctors can use their clinical judgment and, you know, they don't have to follow them to the T, um, but when I talked to, you know, women who had tried to get the medication, some of them were, you know, cited this inclusion criteria and said, you don't fit this criteria. You haven't failed four medications. You haven't tried ECT your past six months. So, you know, I think there is um, not a lot of clarity and exactly, you know, even among doctors about how closely they're supposed to follow these recommendations um, Kaiser has since said that they have communicated with their doctors that um, these are recommendations and not requirements, but they haven't, you know, I asked them, well, how did you communicate that? And, and they were not forthcoming.
1: Hmm. Andy tweets, great piece on postpartum depression, but every time you say women and mothers, I do find myself saying people and parents, at least sometimes, people who don't identify as women also have babies. Thank you for that reminder, Andy. And let's go to Kia in Oakland.
0: Hi. Yes. So uh, a couple of things. Um, One is that I think that, yes, uh, there is probably something about hormones that cause postpartum. But I'm also convinced that there are other factors, such as um, other stressors, not having a supportive spouse. And and just having, um, you know, in my case, I had a, a younger child to look after, and I did not. I'm not in a very supportive relationship. So there was so much other stress in addition to that that um, was just incredibly, made it incredibly difficult. Um, The other thing is how hard it is for people to really uh, recognize postpartum. In my case, I'm married to a doctor, and he didn't, he didn't, uh, didn't point it out, didn't see it. I suffered for a year and a half on my own. Until it got so bad that I went to Kaiser and asked for help, and I w- I'm not the type of person to seek help. Yeah. So finally, I just got a point where I, I couldn't get out of bed and got help, got on medication, off, so and that literally saved my life. But it, that recognition did not come from a physician that I'm married to. Mm-hmm. So um, if, if a physician couldn't recognize it, I just feel bad for women who are married to non-healthcare
2: providers that, like, suffer alone.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Kia. And April, is that a pretty common experience? Have you heard that from a lot of women you've interviewed?
2: That is really common. It's just, you know, as I was saying before, there's so much that is new in this postpartum period that it can be, you know, really difficult. There's also this cultural expectation that when you have a baby— you know you feel great and you are filled with joy and happiness and so when you have feelings that contradict that cultural expectation it can be really difficult to admit to yourself it can be difficult for the family to to understand that and you know the other thing the caller said um, you know we have seen a massive cultural shift in our family structures in the last you know 50 100 years we don't often live around extended family, you know, g- parents and grandparents who can come and help. And so a lot of, you know, new moms feel, can feel really isolated. We also in the U.S. Um, have some of the worst policies around, you know, paid family leave, both for for moms and dads. And so, you know, I've talked to doctors who say, you know, they have, um People who've just had a baby and you know have to go back to work within a week because otherwise they don't have money to pay for diapers. So it's it's a really challenging landscape, and all of those factors can contribute to postpartum depression.
1: Let's bring in Lori from Nevada.
2: Hi, um, so glad
3: to be with you on this very important topic and. What you just said is so important. Um, The way that the West raises children is unlike the rest of the world, and the way human babies were raised for the last two hundred thousand years, which is many people helping to raise the baby. And with, uh, it's so important to put that on the conversation because we don't need medicine. We need people. We need people with the mothers. There's a beautiful book called "Hunt, Gather, Prey." by an NPR journalist, Micheline Duclaff, I believe her name is, and uh, she looks at how strangely the West approaches children. It's not like how we have ever done it before, and it's in isolation and individualism, and it causes illness. (laughs) It causes people to be sick, and drugs will help. I'm so glad there's this drug that can help but please let's have the conversation about uh being together of of families staying together of neighbors helping each other because we have the medicine yeah
1: thank you uh Lori, for that what do we know april domboski health correspondent at kqed news about sort of how family form affects women's mental health postpartum
2: uh well it's a lot like what you know the the caller was saying you know that um if you have more support, then um, it can make things easier. Uh, but, you know, postpartum depression, as much as, you know, economic and social factors play a role, it is a, it is a medical condition. And, um, you know, especially for some women, no amount of social support is going to make them feel better. And so, so for some women, treatment really is necessary. And the good news is, is that the treatments that we have do work. So um, part of it is just women feeling reluctant to to go come forward for help, as we heard from the the caller before. Yeah. And what do you think
1: this says about sort of Kaiser generally, this type of, um, you know, kind of new and expensive treatment that Kaiser seems to make it more difficult to get something that some of our commenters have been asking about?
2: So, um, you know, Kaiser has some history around mental health treatment. Uh, you know, a few years ago in t- 2016, they were actually cited by state regulators for delays in um, offering and delivering mental health treatment um, from some of the people who I've talked to who work inside Kaiser um, refer to the system as being reluctant to adopt new medications. And, you know, there there may be... Um, Reason for caution, you know, as we were discussing this medication is expensive, but um, it also has the, you know, the side effects. So it could be that Kaiser, you know, when they, when I talked to them, they said, "Well, we made our recommendations based on the the safety and efficacy data available at the time," um, and they have since told me that they are actually reviewing those recommendations now, um, but. Cool perhaps they may not be at the forefront.
1: <laughs> We've been talking with April Dembowski, health correspondent at KQED News, about the challenges some patients face accessing treatment for postpartum depression. Silky tweets, patients don't fail treatments, the treatments fail women. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with guest host Lily Jamali.